It's time for the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast with CNHI Sports Indiana's George Brimmer, your number one source for the latest Colts news, information, and discussion. It's time to kick things off. Hello, Colts fans, and welcome to the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast. I'm your producer, Heather B., and I'm here with your host, CNHI Sports Indiana executive editor and Colts beat writer, George Bremer. This week, we'll discuss last week's letdown against the Bengals, go one-on-one with long snapper Luke Rhodes, and look ahead to the game with the Texans. George, where do we begin this week? The team's continued struggles, trade rumors that turned out to be absolutely nothing, or Andrew Luck's concerning status? Yeah, uh, I think everybody probably most interested in the quarterback, as usual. Uh, He's really the biggest story left with this team. What's going to happen with Andrew Luck, and when is everybody going to see him again? And uh, it's it's a concern. I mean, there's no doubt about it. When you're dealing with a shoulder injury for nine months, going on ten months now, uh, and it's your throwing shoulder, it's a huge concern to everybody involved. I think the whole process has taken longer than the Colts expected it to. I think that's there's evidence of that just in the past few weeks. I think it's easy to forget that about three weeks ago we saw him out at practice throwing 40-yard passes with – uh, not really a whole lot of effort, so or at least not a whole lot of tension and, and a lot of stress. So I, I think that at that point in time, you saw them put video of that up on the website. You know, there was every reason to believe the Colts were progressing him towards a return to the field. I think they thought that that was going to be the next step. He was talking at that point about being able to finally see the finish line for this whole process, and it just hasn't come together. There's still soreness in that shoulder. They've gone to see some other doctors. They're trying to figure out what that next step should be within the process, and it's it's going to bear some watching over some time. I, I really feel like the end result here is that you're going to see him end up on injured reserve Uh, But the fact that that hasn't happened yet, and it could happen even by the time you're listening to this podcast, depending on at what point in this week uh, that you're hearing this. But the fact that it hasn't happened to this point, I think, does tell you there's still some hope from the front office standpoint uh, that that they can get him back out there this season. Uh, It's from what I've read on the Internet, uh, it's a really complicated rehab with this uh, posterior labral tear is what he's coming back from uh it's it's a process that oftentimes the recovery takes longer than expected it's a frustrating process for a lot of people and I think we're just seeing that play out in real time now there's no doubt in my mind had luck played at Cincinnati that that's a game they easily would have won realistically Cincinnati might have been this team's last real chance to win a game for a very long time it's an extremely tough schedule coming up with or without luck. Yeah, it gets no easier from this point. I mean, it starts Sunday at Houston with a high-scoring offense right now in the NFL and, and a rookie quarterback in Deshaun Watson who's really taking the league by fire, leads the league with 19 touchdown passes. He's been amazing. He's been everything he was hyped to be and, and everything he was at Clemson, uh, winning a national title there last year. Uh, after that, you've got the Pittsburgh Steelers coming into town. That's not going to be an easy stretch for them as well. They've got the bye week, come out of the bye week. They get the Titans, who they've already lost to once this year. And then a pretty brutal December schedule in terms of defenses that they're facing. You've got Jacksonville. You've got Buffalo. You've got Baltimore. You've got Denver. And you've got Houston in the final month of the season. And those are five pretty physical, pretty intimidating defensive teams that are going to test whoever the quarterback is. They're going to test this offensive line 
And, uh, yeah, there's an uphill battle from here on out for this football team, but it's been that way for, for several weeks. And they're on a three-game losing streak right now, which is the first time that's happened around here since 2011. As we talked about last week, there's not a whole lot of things that you can point to for optimism, for, for positivity with this team right now. And the schedule's just another piece of that puzzle that's not really going Indianapolis's way. Now, as I mentioned, a bunch of trade rumors surrounding the Colts that all turned out to be nothing. But the trade of Jimmy Garoppolo from the Patriots to San Francisco could have a future impact on the Colts, at least in the sense that it changes the current quarterback market and the draft. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. The 49ers were somebody that I think a lot of people expected to, to get into the quarterback market. If not in the draft, then maybe with Kirk Cousins. He obviously has some experience with Kyle Shanahan. It's a situation that uh, I think a lot of people wanted to see happen. The 49ers shocked a lot of people by going out and getting Garoppolo at the trade deadline. And now it makes you wonder, how does that change the top of the draft? Is San Francisco still looking for a young signal caller? Would they still be in that market? You would think not after a trade, especially giving up a couple of picks the way they did. But if they're not, are they now looking to get out of that spot? Right now, they're one of the top two teams in the draft. You know, Is this a situation where they're going to look to possibly deal that pick, move down, gain extra picks? It's something we saw John Lynch do last year in his first time around. Maybe somebody else comes up looking for a quarterback like several teams did last year. Or do they now look for a different position? Does it move somebody who might be on the Colts' radar? I mean, we're looking way down the the, the road here, but right now the Colts are fourth in the, in the draft process. You know, does San Francisco now start looking at somebody who might have been targeted by Indianapolis? It's hard to say, but it, one thing is certain. It has changed significantly the way the quarterback market's going to play out in free agency next March and the way the draft's going to play out in April. And at least they weren't the Browns and the Bengals. That that might be the most Browns thing ever, right? I mean, it, it has it, to be, right? If the reports are to be believed, they don't have A.J. McCarron on the roster right now because somebody didn't send an email to the league in time and... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's tough. It's tough for Cleveland right now, and, and that's in keeping with the way things have gone there for the past uh, two decades or so. All right, let's move on to our next segment, Inside the Locker Room, where George goes one-on-one -on -one with who Adam Vinatieri affectionately calls Rambo, Luke Rhodes. It's time to go Inside the Locker Room with CNHI Sports Indiana's George Bremer. All right. As we talked about last week, we're trying some different things with inside the locker room right now. I'm really trying to give you a little bit more personal look at, at the players, some of the things that they do off the field necessarily. Uh, Luke Rhodes, the new long snapper, he's really taken to Community Tuesdays, which is what the team calls it. Every, every Tuesday, for those that aren't aware, uh, a lot of times it's rookies, but anybody on the team who wants to sign up goes out in the community, does some sort of project. Sometimes they're feeding the poor. Sometimes they're helping to build houses. Uh, there's a lot of different activities that, that fall under these Community Tuesdays. It's pretty much a year-round activity. They'll do a lot of that over the summer as well. Uh, but on Halloween, they happen to go to Riley Children's Hospital, which is one of their favorite stops, one of the places you'll see the, the players end up quite often. They went in costume. And they met with a lot of the, the patients there. And I talked with Luke Rhodes in general, why he is one of the guys that you seem to often see out at these events, why he why it's so important for him to get involved, and then more specifically, what that experience at Riley means to him and, and why he was glad to take part in it. 
what about those those Tuesday events has drawn you in? It seems like every every week we see your picture on there on, on the social media. Yeah, I definitely try and and be involved as much as I can um, wherever they they give us an opportunity to be because I feel like it's important for kids especially to see us out there you know helping people that might be less fortunate or you know one day we're serving food or packaging food or just whatever it is just set a good example for younger kids and the next generation coming up this week in particular being at riley how special is that just just to see those kids and be able to to brighten their day a little bit i mean those kids are warriors you know they go in there some of them that's where they'll live for a while and you know they see strong people just you know not physically just strong-willed people like us out and and seeing them and gives them a little hope and inspiration and you know some of those kids are battling some really really some awful awful stuff and they're some of the you know most cheerful people you'll ever meet and stuff like that just really brings you brings my spirits up as well say it sounds like it, it kind of changes your perspective a little bit too and maybe is that nice at times because football can be a, a pretty unforgiving sport yeah i mean football football is a game but you know, these kids are fighting for their lives and they're still you know as happy as could be and you know their parents i know appreciate us being in there and you know if we can just help out a little bit bring a joy some joy to their day then we did our job does it help you, I don't want to say get connected to the community, but do you feel a, a bigger connection because you get out and you, and you get to see so many different people and do so many different things? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm trying to be you know, recognized as somebody that supports the community of Indianapolis, and you know, it's something I'm trying to take pride in and, and show what I'm doing in the community and hopefully continue to do more just outside of even our community Tuesdays. Is, is it a good bonding situation to me with the guys that are out there it seems like it would be a good time to come together a little bit yeah um the guys that come you know have fun with it and we travel there together you know we we're there together doing the same stuff and even building bonds outside of the the facility with you know some of the other people that are there volunteering or or something you know you never know who you're going to meet or who's you know whose life you're going to touch so is there any particular charity or any particular cause that, that's closer to your heart than, than another? Uh, I really like being at Riley. <clears throat> um, you know, like we said earlier, something about those kids just really just brings your spirits up. And so if I can continue to be there some more, it's probably where, I'm, where I'll be next. Thanks again to Luke Rhodes for joining us on Inside the Locker Room. A big shout out to Luke from this Star Wars fangirl on his Obi-Wan Kenobi Clone Wars costume that we could see from the pictures the Colts were uh, sending out from the Riley Children's Hospital visit. Uh, if he ever needs a Princess Leia, uh, George can tell you I got a, a great Princess Leia costume uh, that I won an award for this year, so... Hit me up, Luke. I'll go with you. And the award is is great. But I think the, the most important thing is you were told by a trick-or-treater on Halloween your costume was lit. That That's I, it. I that, think that, that means you know. that it's the best Princess Leia costume ever. Yeah, that, that right? that's all you need right there. The children have spoken. Um, anyway, it's great to see Luke carrying on what predecessor Matt Overton kind of set the bar with on the Colts. Yeah, there's obviously a lot of work to do to catch up to Matt. He was always a big part of the community, but it's great to see the guy who kind of moved into that position, having that same kind of mentality and that, that same kind of desire to help out uh, in Indianapolis and, and you know possibly beyond. So 
uh, all the guys that go out there and, and participate in these things every Tuesday. Matthias Farley, the safety, he's always been a big part of this the last two years as well. In fact, I can't remember a single time on Twitter when you look at the the Colts Tuesday, the Community Tuesday post and Matthias Farley wasn't in the photo. Uh, but all those guys to, to give their time up on their off day to go out there, help out in the community, uh, you know, applause for them because it's a great thing to see. And in, and an underreported kind of aspect of, of what goes on with this team. We've got a few other sound bites to share you with you this week. First, let's hear from Vontae Davis on what you've got to focus on when things aren't going the team's way. Oh, I mean, you just got to continue to, um, you know, grind, do, you know, and, and figure out what you can do to, um, you know, to improve. NFL, you know, every, the good thing about NFL, every week is an opportunity, you know. So that's you should have that mindset. Every week there's an opportunity for us to go out and play better. And that's how you kind of got to just, you know, in this league, you got to kind of think that way because every week's an opportunity, you know. And, and and if you worry about what you you know what you can't control, you know it'd be hard to um, go out every weekend you know try to perform. Yeah, Vontae was one of the guys that some people are surprised to still see here, but he's a veteran presence in that locker room. He's seen just about everything there is to see in the NFL, and he's one of the guys they're counting on to keep this team together as the se- the second half of the season plays out. All right, up next here is Jabal Sheard on Houston quarterback Deshaun Watson. I mean, he's just getting better and better. Uh, you know, they do a good job of keeping you off, off balance, uh, running the ball, passing the ball, and um, and we just got to play discipline for what. One thing about Watson that's been so remarkable to me is he's a rookie, and he has thrown eight interceptions. He will do that from time to time, but there's no – passiveness in his game there's no fear uh to this kid you could see that as far back as the combine in his interviews there the way he carried himself the way that he represented himself and uh you know his his college coach Dabo Sweeney said look anybody who passes on this guy is passing on Michael Jordan so far he looks like a prophet I'm pretty sure when we walked out of the combine uh this last year uh I said please football gods do not let him fall to Houston (laughs) And he did. So that shows you how much they listen to me. Well, the Texans had something to do. They did trade up to get into that That's spot. That's true. That's true. Uh, and finally, let's hear from nose tackle Al Woods on the Texans' offense being labeled a college offense. No, nah, I mean, it's the NFL. You know what I mean? Um, it's the NFL team. They got NFL quality. So they definitely look like the NFL team. They um, they look like they're getting ready to try to make a turn to where they jump into that elite status. So we got to be on our P's and Q's this coming week. Yeah, you could kind of hear Al take – I don't know if offense is the right word to that, but uh, he certainly didn't like the idea, the label there of college with this offense. They are the number one scoring offense in the league right now. There's a lot of talent there, and uh, Houston's a serious threat when they have the football. That wraps up Inside the Locker Room for this week. Next up, we'll take a ride on the Pony Express. Delivering answers to all of your burning questions about the Colts and the NFL, it's the Pony Express. Welcome to the Pony Express. This is the mailbag segment of our show where George answers your burning cold questions. Up first, we've got a question from at rreed7975. Why were the Colts unable to move players such as Frank Gore and Vontae Davis when it's clear they won't be back and the season is lost? Yeah, they were talking with several teams. There were at least two teams in on Gore and I think at least four teams that at least had some interest uh, in Vontae. But I think what it all came down to was not getting what they wanted in return. 
Uh, and I know a lot of people can say, well, you know, if these guys are going to be gone anyway, just pick up whatever you can and, and move forward. And, and I understand that that theory and I understand that philosophy. The Colts are counting a little bit on the idea that maybe there'll be some compensatory compensatory picks. That's all determined by what contracts they sign next year as free agents. Uh, but that does figure into the equation. And also the fact that this is a really young football team. And so guys like Vontae Davis and Frank Gore, they have some value in the locker room, even in a season that's two and six and and headed to what almost certainly seems like a third straight year without a playoff berth. They are able to, to, to pass some lessons on to some of these young guys, to give them some guidance, to help them through this tough year and give them some things that maybe help in years on. So I don't think the Colts wanted to give away anybody at the deadline, and it sounds like they never really got an offer that made them willing to, to part with anyone. Our next question comes from a friend of the show, Dusty Ricketts. Uh, he says, with Sunday's loss and Luck's shoulder still causing some pain, should the Colts just give up on bringing him back this season and make sure he's 100% healthy before he does return? Why risk another injury on a season that's essentially a lost cause? Yeah, you know, we talked about this a little bit last week, and, and my own stance is probably not going to change much. I, I think the team would really like to get a look at him, uh, if it's at all possible. I think they'd really like to... Get him out on the field, see where he's at, have a real gauge going into the offseason about where he is physically, where he is mentally, and you know how they can move forward with him. Uh, but it, it may not be in their hands anymore, and I think that's something that's becoming more and more increasingly obvious. They do not want to do anything with him unless he's fully healed. And that's one thing I think in this entire process, Chris Ballard, as far back as the summer when training camp was started, made it very clear he's not going to jeopardize the long-term future for any kind of short-term gain. And obviously, the the rationale to do that, to, to grab some short-term gains, is, is decreasing with every week. So I think between the record between the way things are going on the field and between the fact that Lux still does have some soreness and that the rehab still hasn't gotten to the point where he's in pristine shape, which I think is what he's going to need to be in before they put him back into a game, uh, it, it may honestly be out of their hands. It may not be a decision they even have to make. At Dave Blueman wants to know, given the fact that Luck played almost two seasons with this injury, when do we consider that having surgery was a bad idea? Yeah, I don't think that that's the case here at all. In fact, I think the fact that he played two seasons with the surgery is part of why the rehab has been so tough. Surgery probably should have happened back after the 2015 season or, you know, even at some point earlier in this process. He, he I'm not sure everybody understands how much he went through in those two seasons that he was playing. He was getting cortisone shots as far back as 2015 to get out there on the field. Last year, he was not practicing one day a week, which for a 27-year-old quarterback is unheard of. That kind of maintenance, that's something you hear about with a Drew Brees, with a Tom Brady, somebody towards the end of their career, Carson Palmer, somebody like that. Uh, this was very physically taxing on him, and moving forward the way the shoulder was just wasn't an option. There had to be surgery. I think the mistake is, if there was one, it is in not doing it sooner. At Eddie Young 2015 says, do you think the real reason Quincy Wilson isn't playing is due to infighting between the Pagano and Ballard camps? Now, there's really no indication that, that that sort of thing's going on right now. The relationship between management and the coaching staff has been better than it has been in, in recent years. It That does not mean it's not been odd. I know that Wilson didn't play on, on Sunday because of an injury, and I know there's a lot of people out there that aren't buying that. 
he's had a knee problem since the Pittsburgh game in the preseason. Uh, no, the Dallas game in week two of the preseason. And it, it flared up again during a walkthrough on Saturday. It was bad enough that he still wasn't practicing on Wednesday. He would have been very limited. I think if he was completely healthy, he would have started last Sunday. There's a lot of factors playing into this. Uh, the Colts keep bringing up special teams, which I think you can argue whether or not that's really strong enough reason to keep him out of the lineup. Uh, his maturity has been questioned by by defense coordinator uh, Ted Monacchino at, at one point. There's a lot of things that are playing into it. I don't think any of it has to do with any kind of infighting between the coaches and the GM, though. Now let's shift the gears and talk a little bit about the future of this coaching staff at Naptown Kids says, do you think the Colts should rebuild the whole staff or are there certain areas that need to be fixed? I think if head coach Chuck Pagano goes, as many expect, in, in January or before, I think it would probably be a, a pretty much total house cleaning. Uh, if they do bring anybody back, if there's anybody on the staff that, that they want to retain, I think the two guys to keep an eye on would be special teams coach Tom McMahon. His unit's done a good job. They didn't have a great game early against Cincinnati, but they bounced back, did some good things with a blocked field goal and a recovery on a fumble on a punt return. Uh, he's a guy who could be in that mix to, to be retained. And then I think the other guy who's who's really got a lot of respect in that building, who's done a lot of, of things, really good jobs with, with Jacoby Brissett, for instance, has done good work with Andrew Luck, is the quarterback's coach, Brian Schottenheimer. Uh, I think he's a guy that maybe, depending on who the new staff is and, and his familiarity with them, he's another guy that, that might be looked at as being retained. But I would assume new GM, new head coach, you're going to go out and, and pretty much assemble your own new staff. And I hope they keep Robert Mathis. <laughs> I should mention Robert Mathis as well. He's a cult for life, I think, in, a, in the eyes of a lot of people in that building. All right. This next question is going to be a combination of two questions because they're basically along the same lines. Uh, at Ditto Richard says, should the Colts go find an offensive-minded head coach? Uh, any big name coordinators out there, maybe Mike Singletary for defensive coordinator and at Leo S Castro once said, give me one name from college and one from NFL coordinators that could be the Colts next head coach. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see what they do as this whole process plays out. I think the off season is going to be really interesting no matter what happens. And I think everybody's expecting a coaching change and, and we'll see the direction that that takes. I have been in favor for a couple of years now. If you've heard way probably more, many more times than, than you want to. My go, my thought process has always been that they need to go find an offensive-minded coach because I think they need somebody who, if Andrew Luck is back and fully healthy, is going to maximize his abilities. And, and what I mean by that is his athleticism. I don't think that they've really taken as much advantage of that as they can. Moving him around, allowing him to throw on the run, uh, quickening the tempo of the offense. He looks so good in two-minute drill situations, places where he can use his intelligence and on-the-field thinking. Uh, I, I think that anybody who's going to bring those elements into the offense should be somebody that they're looking at. You're going to hear Dave Tobe's name about a trillion times between now and, and whenever a new coach is hired, if, in fact, that's the process that they go through. He's a special teams coordinator for the Chiefs right now. He's probably the most – well, he's not probably. He's definitely the most respected special teams coach in the league. He obviously has a history with Chris Ballard from their last few years together in Kansas City, and his name comes up quite often as a potential candidate. I think you're going to hear that again multiple times uh, once the job is open, if, if that's what happens. 
from my own personal standpoint, I haven't thrown out this public lately, but you know it and uh, a lot of other people know it. One name that I personally would keep an eye on is Frank Reich. He is the offense coordinator right now for the Eagles. He's done a great job with Carson Wentz. He has him in his second year in a position to possibly be the MVP of this league at the midway point. But more importantly, he worked with Phillip Rivers out in San Diego. He was here in Indianapolis with Peyton Manning. He knows what those two guys did what was put around them to help them succeed in this league. But also, as a player, he played behind Jim Kelly and that K-Gun offense that Buffalo really revolutionized the league with. Essentially, it was a two-minute offense that they ran for the entire game. And I think that's something, elements of that system would be interesting to see run here in Indianapolis with Andrew Luck. That being said, Chuck Pagano is still the head coach of this team. And right now, there's... There's really no reason to speculate because we don't know what's going to happen. All that being said, yeah, I think Tobe's name is going to be at the top of the list. The only guy in offense that I've really heard in college that I've really heard again and again is UCLA coach Jim Mora. Obviously, his dad was here in Indianapolis, so that would be an interesting connection. Uh, but he's really the only name in college that you hear a lot of as, as a potential NFL guy. Mora coached the Falcons for a while. He had one season in Seattle. Uh, the guy that replaced him, you may have heard of, Pete Carroll. Uh, I think he's, if anybody's dipping into the college ranks, he's probably the guy that, that most people are looking to. I know when people bring up college around here, the name that they want to hear is, is Jim Harbaugh. I can tell you this. Obviously, he's got a connection with the quarterback. He recruited him to Stanford. Uh, the owner, Jim Ursay, is a big fan. But if I was Jim Har Harbaugh, I don't think I would want to leave Michigan. Because I know things aren't going well there this year. I know that they're not living up to the expectations that they've had in the past few years. But he's pretty much a god there in Ann Arbor. And I think he's got total control of that program. He's got a great situation for himself and his family. And just from my own personal standpoint, if I was him, I don't think I'd want to leave that situation to go anywhere in the NFL. All right, that wraps up Pony Express for this week. George, why don't you tell the folks how to get, can get questions to you? Yeah, obviously the, the best way to do that is to hit me up on Twitter, at GM Brimmer. You can also check out my professional Facebook page, which is George M. Brimmer. All right, when we come back, we'll wrap up the show with Horseshoes and Hand Grenades. Horseshoes and Hand Grenades, ranking this week's Colts News. Once again this week, hand grenades far outnumber the horseshoes for the Colts. Uh, this first one is facing rookie quarterback Deshaun Watson. Yeah, we talked about him earlier in the show, and this is a guy who can hurt you with his legs. He can hurt you with his arm. He's been an explosive player, and he's been really a producer of big plays. And that's something this defense has struggled with. I think the number is 41 passes right now allowed, 20 or more yards. That's something that Houston has been excellent with, with Watson's, not only his arm, but his daring mentality. He's going to test you. He comes into the game looking to test you. Uh, he's always looking downfield, always trying to make that big play. With DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller out there to catch the ball, the Texans are generally willing to let him take that shot, and it turns out in their favor more often than not. And the second hand grenade goes to the offensive line status. Yeah, this is, you know... We always talk about you got to know your place and football's place in the world. And, and you heard Luke Rhodes talk about that a little bit and putting that into perspective. And obviously we've had enough things with the with the hurricanes and, and some of the, the other tragedies that have affected this country this year uh, that, that we know that there's there's a far bigger uh, 
uh, world out there than just football. And in that kind of light, uh, the Raven Clark is dealing with with a very difficult situation this week. He lost his father on Sunday, uh, and he's down in Texas in the middle of the week. Uh, he's going back there on Friday to help lay his, his dad to rest. And obviously that's a much bigger and much more important situation for him and his family right now than, than any game on, on Sunday. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what his status is as far as that goes. He'd start at right guard the last three weeks, but his availability becomes even more important because Anthony Costanzo missed practice on Wednesday with a knee injury. No idea yet on the severity of that, but just the fact that he wasn't out there, that that's very, very rare. You almost never see AC off the field. And for him not to be out there, it is a concern. Uh, there's only three other tackles on the roster right now. One of them is Clark, who we just mentioned. The other two are already starting on the line. Jeremy Vunovich is at left guard. Joe Haig is at right tackle. So if Anthony Costanzo is not available on Sunday, you could see some serious shifting in this line against a pretty stiff Houston defensive front. And a third hand grenade for the defensive monster on the Texans right now, Jadavian Clowney. Yeah, we talk about him. Uh, when we talk about that front, that's where it begins. Obviously, they don't have J.J. Watt. Obviously, they don't have Whitney Merciless. Both those guys are out with injury, but they still have Jadavian Clowney. And he's still one of the best defensive players in the National Football League. All you got to do is look back to last year. The Colts are down in the red zone in the game uh, at home in December with the division on the line. Jadavian Clowney beats Dwayne Allen knocks the ball out of Andrew Luck's hands, takes at least three points off the board for the Colts in a, in a really close loss that more or less de determined the AFC South champion last year. So he's got that game wrecker status, and he's definitely going to be somebody to watch who will probably make a difference for Houston in that, that contest. And there will be one horseshoe this week. Uh, and that's that the pass rush was better last week. I have to say, I think if you showed somebody just segments of – them rushing the quarterback, they would think the Colts won. Yeah, a lot of the statistics from that game on Sunday against the Bengals were in the Colts' favor. I think that's one of the most disappointing things about that. Uh, now, the Bengals' offensive line had something to do with it. They've struggled all year. The Bengals have struggled all year as a team, but the Colts had 15 pressures on 35 dropbacks, according to Pro Football Focus. John Simon was out for this game, and he's a guy that we knew that they were going to miss, but Barkevius Mingo... And rookie Terrell Basham both stepped up, made some big plays in that game, got pressure on the quarterback. Basham got his first career sack. That's something to build on. That's something over the last eight weeks of the season to keep an eye on and see if these two guys, young and inexperienced, with a lot of talent, could continue to grow and, and maybe become an even bigger part of things in the future. And our final segment will be a horse grenade, meaning that we don't know how it will fall. Uh, but that's that strange things tend to happen in Houston. Yeah, you know, it's Halloween week, so stranger things, I think, is a good theme here. And uh, yeah, uh, strange things happen in Houston every time. It seems like two years ago, that was the, the Matt Hasselbeck uh, burrito game he got food poisoning before the game he came out there sick as a dog somehow led the Colts to victory uh, a big win at that point in the season last year Brock Osweiler of all people leads a huge fourth quarter comeback from a 14 point deficit forces overtime the, Je the Texans win that game in the extra period Weird things happen there. They've had a head coach collapse at halftime one season with Gary Kubiak uh, having a seizure down there on the sideline. You, you've just had strange things every time the Colts visit Houston. And so now 
who knows? That city's in kind of a interesting status anyway after the World Series. Uh, I'm sure the sports mentality in Houston right now is off the charts, and something strange is going to happen Sunday. We'll see if it favors one team or the other. Taking uh, the three hand grenades into account and that one outlying horseshoe, will the Colts shock everyone and beat the Texans this weekend? I got to tell you, on paper, this is possibly the biggest mismatch they've had all year. You've got the highest scoring offense in the NFL against the highest scoring allowed defense in the NFL. You've got a quarterback who loves making big plays against a defense that's had trouble defending big plays. Everything on paper points to Houston. I think the Texans get the win on Sunday. That's it for Horseshoes and Hand Grenades this week. Thanks again to Luke Rhodes for joining us. Look for next week's podcast on your local CNHI Sports Indiana website, iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you subscribe on iTunes, please give us a star rating so we know how we're doing. As always, you can get live in-game analysis and news by following George on Twitter at GM Burmer. And until next time, remember the immortal words of Ted Theodore Logan and Phyllis Preston Esquire, and be excellent to each other. You've been listening to the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast with CNHI Sports Indiana's George Bremer. For more Colts news and information, follow George on Twitter at GM Bremer. And join us next time for more of the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast.